she's also a he. More. More. I like more. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I'm bisexual, actually. Oh! Yeah. I go both ways. Welcome to Bisexual Breakdown, where we have breakdowns as we break down pop culture. I'm your host, Serena, and I'm here with my host, Katie. Hello. And this is our holiday rom-com episode. And we are joined today by our friend, Mayo, who will introduce themselves shortly. And Mayo is on this podcast because they are our subject matter expert on the holiday rom-com genre. So Mayo, before we start, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, I'm Mayo, Mayonnaise Toffees if I'm in trouble. And yeah, <laughs> I watch a lot of really bad Christmas rom-coms all the, all the time through December. It's a bit of a problem. I've known Katie and Serena for three years now. Yeah. When did you join that server? I think May was there from the start. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been, yeah, since like August, 2020. And despite best efforts, you haven't got rid of me. So here I am. <laughs> we would never. No, we would never. Yeah, as we mentioned, I mean, we have Mayo on here because they're like, they love, they love holiday rom-com movies of all sexual orientation, I'm assuming. Personally, like, this was a bit of an interesting one for me because I very much am not, I mean, I'm, I'm not like a rom-com movie enjoyer at all all really i've kind of like discovered in the last like maybe couple years of my life that i always thought that i wasn't like a big rom-com person in any genre or any medium i should say like books or you know tv shows or movies or whatever but i think that i'm kind of realizing about myself that i think i just actually find like heterosexual rom-coms really boring because when it's like a gay rom-com i just like eat that up so definitely getting to watch some queer holiday rom-coms has been a better experience than any of like the heterosexual rom-coms i've had to watch in my time what about you serena i'm a take it or leave it kind of person when it comes to rom-coms holiday or otherwise i just kind of find it generally really cringe and i know that they're not supposed to be like cinematic works of art that's the whole genre i just don't think it's for me although there have been a few that i've enjoyed although if you pressed me i'd be really you know it would be really hard for me to come up with one that i genuinely enjoyed like i'm trying to think about a title right now and i'm i'm blanking i'm sure they they must exist like i've watched the rom-com that i've enjoyed at some point in my life it's just, it was pretty forgettable because I can't name it right now. I think the most interesting part of this podcast is Mayo talking about their relationship with the holiday rom-com genre. Yeah, I just, I love them because I've always been a huge Christmas person, embarrassingly huge in school uh, when it got to December once, you know, I was old enough to do things myself and have the money to do it. My bag on the 1st of December was just covered in tinsel and lights. I found an old MP3 player, which only could fit about 10 songs on it. So Christmas bangers on that, speaker in my bag. I got told multiple times that I wasn't allowed to have that. It didn't matter. It was great. It was Christmas. And so growing up, you know, watched loads of Christmas films every year. Muppet Christmas Carol is still 
the best Christmas film I've ever watched in my life. But, you know, I'm English, so Love Actually was always every single year once. I was kind of old enough to watch it, not the edited version that was sometimes on TV a little bit earlier in the day. And so rom-coms, that kind of cheesiness, oh, that's that's part of what Christmas is to me. And then because we don't have Hallmark here, well, if we have it, you have to pay for it, and I don't. So I really got into the cheesy, really bad Christmas rom-coms when Netflix started putting them on. And that was that was me done. By that point, <laughs> I was living on my own. And when it hit December, no one could stop me from just watching Christmas rom-coms from the moment I finished work to the moment I went to sleep. I love that about you. <laughs> and that's why you should live with people. <laughs> <laughs> that's so on brand for you. you know. <laughs> I didn't realize that Netflix had that many holiday rom-coms. Do you re-watch a lot of them? Are you like consuming new holiday rom-coms like every year? What does that look like? So it's a bit of both because The Night Before Christmas came out in 2020 or 2021, something like that. That one, if you haven't seen it before, it's a really, really believable story of a medieval knight who gets <laughs> transported to the modern day and falls in love with, oh, what's her face from High School Musical, uh, Vanessa Hudgens? Yes. Yes. And that's fantastic. So that I watch like repeatedly every December and like I rewatch, you know, Christmas Prince trilogy and the other Vanessa Hudgens trilogy, which, by the way, both the uh, Princess Switch and The Night Before Christmas, both starring the same actress in the lead role, are in the same universe as A Christmas Prince, which means that in Princess Switch, there are three people who look identical, <laughs> and that now means that there are four. <laughs> Only two of them are related. Um, that wasn't the question. <laughs> but, but yeah, I do also watch the new ones and there are ones that have been on my list for a few years that I still haven't watched. Like there's one with Rob Lowe, I think, called Holiday in the Wild. And I keep being like, I'm going to watch that. And I still haven't. So, you know, this December, there's definitely a lot more on Netflix than I thought there was. And I think they've been adding more and more the past few years. I've never seen the Christmas Carol, the 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 Muppets. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never seen it. Well, lucky for you, you get to watch it for the first time. Yeah, I'm so not a big Christmas movie person. I should stop being such a Scrooge. It's great because the Muppets are just the perfect ones to tell the story because it's like, it's still got the nice, wholesome Christmas feeling, but it's also got a lot of sarcasm and snarky comments in it. And it's also got the third ghost in the Muppet Christmas Carol is, I think, the scariest character that I've ever seen in anything, mm -hmm. including in my adult life. Yeah, I watched the, there's like a Mickey Mouse version of A Christmas Carol that I watched all the, that was my like version of The Christmas Carol that I watched when I was growing up. We had it recorded on a VHS tape. My, my mom probably recorded it in the 80s and we watched it all the time when I was growing up. It was the same thing. The third ghost of Christmas future, I will say, is terrifying in that cartoon. But I do also enjoy the Muppet version quite a bit. I think that the Ghost of Christmas Future is scary in the book, but nowhere near as scary as 
children's films managed to make it. Yeah. And I actually also have seen The Christmas Night. I have seen that one too. Yeah, which is surprising, but it's always, if I've seen any sort of rom-com movie, it's always because someone has like talked me into it. Did you like it? It was cute. I definitely enjoyed parts of it. And then other parts, it's kind of like what I always feel is like an issue with a lot of heterosexual romance movies, which I think is one of the reasons why I prefer like gay romance movies, because I feel like they have to work harder to manufacture drama in heterosexual movies. Whereas I feel like a lot of the drama or a lot of things that could be keeping apart a gay couple or preventing a gay couple from being happy are just like more realistic you literally have a built-in thing like oh the person's family is homophobic or Mm -hmm. oh they're like scared to come out those things are like real issues that are keeping couples apart in heterosexual romance movies they have to invent something like a knight coming back from the past (laughs) (laughs) to make it interesting To make it interesting, coming up with all these manufactured drama things to put into the movie for reasons why this couple like can't be together. While it is enjoyable, it's always like a suspension of disbelief kind of thing. You kind of have to force yourself to not be too like judgmental of, otherwise I feel like it definitely can ruin your enjoyment of uh-huh. rom-coms, holiday rom-coms especially. Does While You Were Sleeping count as a holiday rom-com? I've never seen it. You've never seen it? I know. I don't think I've seen it. Really? Am I the only one who's seen this? I really enjoyed this movie, given that I'm not a rom-com person, but also I was 14 when it came out. It is a romance and there's a lot of misunderstanding and stuff that that happens over the holidays. It's starring Sandra Bullock. And I genuinely like this movie. I have not revisited it as an adult. So I don't know if it holds up, but I remember being a teenager really liking this movie. In the years since, I've thought that that was a particularly good example. Like it was well done. It wasn't cringy. The acting felt genuine um, and like the story felt as absurd as the premise of the story was. The characters sold it and and I bought into it and was really invested in it. So that's one example of a holiday rom-com that I genuinely enjoy. And that was in 1995 and I don't think I have a more recent example. When you said, does it count as a um, holiday rom-com? The one that immediately came to mind for me was When Harry Met Sally, which I think Every single year on New Year's Eve, it's on TV somewhere so that it hits midnight in the film when it hits midnight here. Oh, I like that one. It was okay. I didn't like it as much as While You Were Sleeping, but yeah, that's a classic. It is a classic. And that that kind of was the movie that made me feel like rom-coms maybe like weren't for me because that one was so popular. Everyone always talks about it as sort of like the seminal like rom-com. And I watched yeah. it and I was just like... I just didn't get their romance with each other. Like, I don't know. And I, and I felt like so like disconnected from it. So I was kind of like, okay, if this one's not hitting for me, maybe this just isn't the genre for me. Yeah. It feels funny talking about how much I'm like not a rom-com person when we spent four hours talking about red, white, and royal blue on this podcast. (laughs) Listen, I feel like that one is kind of like an exception to all of my rules. It's not a rom-com and it's an experience. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like it's not really like in the way that it is sort of it has romance and it has moments of comedy it's not really like a true rom-com I wouldn't say it feels more coming of age film which has romance 
as well. Yeah, because it's also like drama more so, I would say. I think I like While You Were Sleeping because it feels like fanfic. Like the plot is absolutely ridiculous. Oh, it's mad, yeah. <laughs> and And I think that's what I like about it. Should we get into our movies? Yes. Perfect. So the first one we watched was called Single All The Way. It came out in 2021 and it was originally released on Netflix. And it is about a... Once again, I'm trying to describe a movie and I'm so bad at this. I even have the <laughs> Wikipedia page open to help me out. And I'm still like... It's about a guy named Peter who's living in Los Angeles with his roommate, Nick. And basically what happens is... Peter is dating this guy and then finds out right before he's supposed to be taking him home for Christmas that his boyfriend is like married and has kids. And so instead he convinces his roommate and best friend Nick to come home with him. And the rest of the movie is basically about his family trying to convince Nick to ask out Peter but then also Peter's mom has set him up on a blind date with someone and Peter ends up really liking that guy and so he kind of has to choose between like this guy he's been set up with and his roommate and like best friend of many years and the motivations in this movie are very confusing to me like I don't know why people do the things that they do it feels like so much of this movie is about his family literally just like meddling in his life and when I say his family I don't just mean like his mom I mean like his like nieces and nephews and like sister other members of the family even like his dad gets into it sometimes it's like literally a whole extended family issue that this guy happens to be like single that's another thing like his whole family all the time is just like giving him a hard time because he's single he's just always single and for some reason that's like such a big deal yeah why is that a problem yeah i don't know i i feel like it's the entire time i was watching that movie i was like i don't know if this is genuinely an issue that people have my family isn't like that at all. Like if I was dating someone, I could bring them to like a family event and it would be like totally normal. And if I don't bring someone to a family event, no one's like asking me if why I'm single or if I'm dating someone or why am I still single? Like do your guys' families like meddle in your guys' lives like that? I mean, no. not to the extent that this family does because that's just ridiculous. But I think that, I mean, at least in my in my culture, once you're out of college there's a lot of pressure it's like oh when are you getting married and the clock is ticking and why are you not dating someone and that always comes up around the holidays when there are family gatherings but even that like it's nowhere near as intense as it's depicted in this movie it just kind of feels like do you not have anything else going on in your lives is well no they live in a small town and there's only one bar and apparently nobody does anything but meddle in other people's (laughs) love lives also how is it that small of a town when there's apparently a ski resort right nearby like how how is there not a tourist industry there it was just really over the top in that like depiction of a meddling family so it was confusing me because it seemed like 
Peter was so desperate for his roommate slash best friend to come home with him for the holidays because his family is so intense about relationships. And so he wanted to pretend that they were together so that they'd get off his case. When I first watched this, and I thought this was going into the fake dating kind of trope, but then that's not actually what happens. Um, Nick does go home with Peter, but then he doesn't agree to fake the relationship when they get home peter's mom has a blind date set up for peter like it was just really confusing kind of felt like twist for the sake of being a little twist but then apparently the entire family thinks that peter and nick should be together and so there's like a lot of scheming um behind the scenes trying to convince nick to declare his love for peter but at the same time also encouraging peter's blind date so it's like well just pick one of them we don't care which one just end up with somebody (laughs) well yeah and that's kind of the weird thing again is that like they're just giving him such a hard time for being single that it's almost like they don't care who he ends up with as long as he ends up with yeah with somebody shouldn't you care more about like the quality of the person that your family member ends up with than like just the fact that they're not single Part of it was also they wanted him to end up with someone local so that he'd move back and be with his family. Yes, which he did want to do anyways. Let's introduce the sort of four categories that we're going to be talking about. The first category is how well does it meet the typical holiday rom-com movie trope and the general expectations of that category of movie we want to talk about the side characters and their importance and how they contribute to the story then we want to talk about how much we enjoyed the movie and would we watch it if it wasn't queer we also have the authenticity and quality of queer relationships depicted let's go through these categories for single all the way so how well does it meet the typical holiday rom-com movie tropes and the general expectations of that category over to you mayo it does it quite well to the point where it has been criticized by people for like being bland or whatever and it's like well yeah but that's kind of how it is because you know when you're watching those kind of christmas films you're not looking for the cinematic masterpiece you're looking for the christmas equivalent of fast food (laughs) you know it's got snow that's a big one it's got the families are either barely in it at all or really intense so it's got the intense family it's got the you go to a secondary location for the holidays so peter's going back home nick's going with him it's got the kind of it's a rom-com you're kind of watching it like well they won't they except it's extremely clear that they will so yeah i'd say it meets it pretty well i will say that one thing that was kind of nice about this one is that it didn't really have that having to come out to your family kind of thing all of the queer characters in this movie are like already out there's nothing to do with that like it's it's kind of like refreshing to see a movie where that's not even ever really an issue nick's parents are not in the movie so may you said something interesting to me before we started recording that one trope is that one character's parents are always dead, which I never thought about before until you brought it up. Yeah. So usually there's at least one parent of one part of the couple is dead because it means that you've got the nostalgia of how Christmas used to be. And, you know, it's got that 
whole thing of these films were all about the magic of Christmas, the magic of the holidays. And part of getting there in your film means that the person has to start not really buying into the holidays anymore. What seems to be a really easy way to do that is kill off one of the parents before you get there and then they've got that kind of nostalgia of how it used to be it also works really well when one parent for each of them has died because then they've got that to bond over as well here we've got Nick's parents I think specifically Peter always talks about Nick's Christmas with his uh, mom and that also feeds in quite nicely to the whole bring someone home with you for Christmas because it means that you're not competing with their parents to go back with. Let's talk about the authenticity and quality of the queer relationships depicted in this movie. How do we feel about, well, there's two relationships actually really in this because there's Nick and Peter. And then there's also the guy that Peter's family sets him up with whose name I can't remember right now I haven't a clue <laughs> which I think tells you how great we found their relationship his name is James it's James there we go so yeah so there's Peter and Nick and then there's Peter and James I think obviously Peter and James isn't great I think that a big reason that Peter sort of even felt like things were going well between him and James was because one of the parts of this movie is that Peter kind of wants to like move back home. And so he's thinking like, oh, if things work out with James, then, you know, James lives in his hometown so he can move back and he can be with James and things will be great. I don't know if there's really anything going on there between them. Yeah, I don't know how that first date progressed into a second and third date because they didn't really seem to have anything in common. Like, why do these two people like each other and want to keep seeing each other? Well, I think for James, to be fair, James does say on that first date, like, yeah, the uh, radius on Grinder is kind of insane. So he might just be desperate. Yeah, I was thinking that too. I was like, I bet you anything, a big part of it for James is just literally like, well, there's no other options. So <laughs> what am I going to do? Which again, it's like, why do you live there then? I guess. <laughs> because the skiing. The skiing, yeah. Surely you're meeting people regularly at the ski resort. I don't know how ski resorts work. I mean, I live fairly close to a really big ski resort town that I was actually just visiting recently and I met up with a friend of a friend who moved there to live and work like that's that's something that a lot of people do in this area is they move to that kind of small ski resort town to live and work as like um just for like a, a while you know like some people will be there for like six months a year like whatever and then they'll move back it, it's got a lot of turnover I would say but also there's a lot of different types of people from a lot of different places like there's a lot of people living and working there who are not even from this country like people will come from all over the world to like live and work there and yeah I don't know it just seems like 
part of those people would be gay people. <laughs> like that's kind of like yeah. a weird thing where it's like they're acting like they're the only two gay people in that town. <laughs> and I actually kind of don't buy that, especially if it is like a resort town with like a big ski hill nearby. There would be all kinds of people coming in and out of that town. Like I said, I really think that that is sort of like a weird thing that people get wrong sometimes in like gay media being like, oh, there's no gay people around. It's like, I don't believe that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're straight, maybe you don't see them or you don't interact with them. So you wouldn't know. But like, there can't be just two gay guys in the ski town. Come on. Growing up, I thought, you know, our small rural town, there weren't that many queer people there. But like, not only are a significant portion of my friends queer, but also like my family's bakery has ended up with a weird thing where like, I think about 80% of the people who work there after school or on weekends have ended up being queer. We've ended up a very queer friendly bakery and I, I don't think that. it was on purpose. <laughs> That's really cute. I feel like people think that for some reason gay people just don't exist in smaller places and it's like, no, they do. They just usually congregate in bigger cities where there's going to be a bigger like gay population, but like they're coming from everywhere. <laughs> mm. They're being born in all corners of this planet. Whatever. If we're taking what the movie says at face value and assuming that, okay, maybe he is literally the only like gay person in that town, then I guess it would make sense if he's like trying to make it work with Peter because he thinks that that's like his only option. And maybe Peter is just feeling like bad about being cheated on. And so he's like, well, this guy's here and he's being nice to me. So I guess that's better than my douchebag boyfriend. Part of it is wanting to make his mom happy because she set it up and she really wants it to work out, which is a, a bad reason to get into a relationship to make other people happy. I think we don't need to even say that this is a spoiler, but obviously they don't end up together. Because he ends up with his best friend of nine years and roommate, Nick. How realistic do we think that these two have been best friends for nine years and living together? And apparently they've been in love with each other this whole time. They were just scared to admit it. Nine years? That's a long time. That's a long time. Particularly when they say, like, they make a point of saying Peter always picks badly when it comes to boyfriends but he's had a lot of them and i assume that nick will have had a few so like surely at some point if you're in love with the person that you're living with and they're bringing other people around surely at some point one of you moves out or does something you wouldn't just be in each other's pocket for nine years I mean, the length of time is unbelievable to me. Like if this was a fairly recent thing, like they started living together a year or two. Okay, maybe I'll buy that. But like you've been suppressing those feelings for nearly a decade. Come on. Something about the way that Peter is sort of like blind to how much Nick does like for him, if that makes sense. Do you know what I'm talking about? It's sort of like Nick will like bend over backwards for him and it just seems like peter is sort of like blind to that a little bit mm -hmm. like he's been acting like the boyfriend this whole time yeah a little bit i don't know if i if i love that it seems like a little bit of an imbalance i feel like that is sort of like a romance or like a rom-com trope where like 
the main character has like a best friend that's like in love with them and the best friend is like doing will do anything for them and they just like take that for granted kind of thing Mm -hmm. i mean that's that's shitty in a queer or straight story i don't love that dynamic yeah and that's kind of how i feel it's like it feels like a very straight (laughs) trope to have in a queer movie and i i don't know if i if i love that to be honest well i think i said to you guys the other day I watch a lot of really terrible films. So to me, Peter and Nick had wonderful chemistry, like really (laughs) great chemistry. I also remember because there's a thing when Pete's taking pictures of Nick and then later James, and he asked them both to do the same thing where they kind of breathes out and you get the kind of breath fog. He does it with Nick and he has this kind of italicized O moment. But then when he does it with James, he doesn't have that same feeling and I forced my younger sibling to watch it with me and they do not do rom-coms at all and the point at which he tried to do the same picture with James was when my sibling kind of yelled no don't do it and then when (laughs) they had like no reaction he was like okay that's fine so and then they just yelled at me for getting them into a rom-com but that's besides the point but yeah so like that was a cute moment It's so cute. And like, I think that kind of showed the difference in authenticity of their their kind of feelings or whatever, but very much with the caveat of for this genre of rom-com. If it was in a better film, their chemistry might not match up. It's also a very sexless movie. I don't know. There's just no, you know, I, I thought that Peter and Nick's chemistry was cute best friend chemistry, but like, I just didn't see that in any romantic or sexual sense this just seems like a very sexist movie is that a rom-com thing to people not bang in rom-coms in holiday rom-coms not so much in a lot of holiday rom-com like the moments of tension are like the near kisses or whatever you don't often get sex or near to sex or leading up to sex it's all about the lingering looks and basically holiday rom-coms are modern settings but period film ability to touch it's trying to appeal to to families i guess and so you wouldn't want to watch that something that's really sexy with your your parents i guess ignoring the fact that love actually literally has porn stars in it ignoring that oh no they're not porn stars they're porn star stand-ins porn star stand-ins Let's talk about the side characters and how they contribute to the story. So pretty much for side characters, what we have is like Peter's family. That's kind of it, really. Mm -hmm. If I had this family, I don't think I would be going home for the holidays. That's all I'm going to say. Besides the fact that they are very accepting of him and his being gay, which is very nice. I think Mm -hmm. that pretty much everything else about them is so damn annoying. (laughs) They are intense and they are high-pitched. And that's not necessarily their fault. But when they go higher and higher, when they're getting more into the meddling, I'm just like, can you just drop it down again? Let's just start over. Yeah, because it's not just the parents or the sibling or the aunt. Like, even the nieces and nephews are in on it and like kind of egging their uncle to to hook up with his best friend, which is weird. Like, why do you guys care? <laughs> Your children. 
that's like the most confusing part to me is that his two nieces who I think are supposed to be like I I would say like 15 16 maybe are like so obsessed with trying to like get Peter to get together with Nick and I'm just like did anyone who was making this movie have they ever like met a 15 or 16 year old I literally cannot think of anything they would care about less than like their uncle's relationship i'm like don't again maybe this is coming back to the fact that they live in like a small town but it's like don't you guys have anything better to do (laughs) i have nieces and nephews who are that age who live in a small town literally could not care so yeah i don't think that's very realistic yeah no i grew up in a small town and no that that's weird i don't i don't know if i was invested in anything that much when i was i was invested in things but not like adults relationships yeah i think if you're obsessed with any relationship at that age it should be fictional (laughs) (laughs) yeah go read a fanfic kids yeah Um, (laughs) how do you feel about the the weird aunt who is played by jennifer coolidge who is just being jennifer coolidge in this movie i don't know i didn't really understand why that was like even a necessary part of the story if that makes sense i think they just wanted to put jennifer coolidge in this movie yeah they got it for the sake of having it (laughs) yeah that's fair because like it just seems silly that like all this other stuff is going on the the dates and the fact that like his roommate is there and they're kind of like falling in love with each other and like blah 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 and then all of a sudden on top of all of that he has an aunt who like directs the annual kids like christmas pageant and she's like freaking out that it's not gonna like work out and so both peter and nick have to come in and like save the day basically and like put this christmas pageant together with her and i'm just like what is the i don't know i mean maybe it was just forcing them to work together but it's like they're already close and the whole point was them spending time with the family like they were already doing that like you Mm. didn't need to force more proximity between these two people for them to realize their feelings for each other i don't know also the timing of the pageant seemed to be just weird we suddenly have to spend all of this time together like who's just dumping their kids on random people for (laughs) days before christmas so actually no yeah that makes sense it's like we've got to get stuff ready go you yeah get them out of here (laughs) (laughs) i don't know though because like christmas pageants aren't like a big thing where i'm from so maybe if they were a big deal where either of you guys grew up but like it seems like something that would be planned like a month in advance you would slowly start putting together or even more than a month two months in advance slowly putting together this pageant and not like you said like three days before christmas all of a sudden they're like oh crap we have to redo this entire pageant like let's go i don't know it just seems it seems silly which is so unnecessary like i can understand if you have to manufacture drama but like this just seemed completely pointless and wasn't even very entertaining should we talk about did we enjoy the movie yeah, I was going to say, we just ripped this movie apart. Now we're like, so did we like this movie? <laughs> <laughs> but did we? Did you guys enjoy this movie? And would you watch it if it was a straight movie? No. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wanted to like it. So, I mean, I watched it when it came out. 
hoping that I would enjoy it because it is a queer movie. And no, I feel the same way about it as I feel about most straight holiday rom-coms. Just not for me. And I feel the same way I do about most straight holiday rom-coms. So I loved it. <laughs> I've watched it multiple times because it is, it's sexless and it's bland and it's terrible and it's Christmassy and it's silly. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking to switch my brain off for however long the film is and just surround myself with Christmas. <laughs> I love that for you, Mayo. That's so cute. Could not be me. <laughs> no, okay. I feel the same way as Serena. We're like, I mean, I, I didn't watch this when it came out. I didn't even know about it. But definitely, like, it's one of those things, like I kind of already said, if someone was like, sit down, we're going to watch this movie. I'm like, okay, that's fine. But definitely not something I would ever choose to watch by myself. Which I guess I also didn't this time because we watched this together. So I'm st I still didn't watch it by myself. <laughs> and yeah, definitely if it was straight. I mean, again, if it was straight, if someone wanted me to watch it with them, I probably would. But I would never, certainly never go out of my way. It is one of those things where I'm like, I understand the enjoyment of turning your brain off and just watching something that doesn't require a lot of like thought process mm -hmm. totally get that I mean I do the same thing when I rewatch things that I've seen like a million times before but I think that things like this actually make my brain go faster because I'm so busy thinking of all the things that are like wrong with it <laughs> <laughs> and my brain doesn't turn off it just instead is like well why would they be doing this and why is this happening and why would they make this decision and why is this person acting like this like it kind of just does the opposite for me <laughs> think so yeah that one is a solid probably wouldn't watch it again why don't we start talking about happiest season so the happiest season is about a couple going to spend christmas with one of their families it's a typical uh, rom-com trope the couple in question is abby played by kristen stewart and harper who's played by mackenzie davis and abby is not a Christmas person and her parents have passed away and she was looking forward to spending Christmas by herself taking care of pets but Harper convinces her to come home for her family celebration and Abby's just so in love with Harper she says yes despite reservations and also decides that she's going to propose they're in the car they're almost at Harper's family home when Harper breaks it to Abby that her parents don't actually know that she's a lesbian, so she hasn't come out. And so she asks Abby to pretend to be her roommate because they just need to get through the holidays because Harper's dad is running for mayor and so they have to keep up appearances and it's a very stressful holiday season for them. But Harper promises that once the holidays are over, she's going to come out and introduce Abby as her partner. Abby's not happy about this, but she decides to play along and the family visit is a disaster. And Harper and Abby are outed in a very not nice way, but then it is a holiday movie and it wraps up nicely at the end. They get a happy ending, um, but there's a lot of uh, drama and tension in between that. So I wouldn't say that this is necessarily like a rom-com. There are funny moments. Mostly it's just a Christmas film that's about a lesbian couple who are struggling with family expectations and the struggle of coming out. Yeah, this one definitely 
felt a lot less like a rom-com, which is funny because it follows a lot of the same tropes. Like we said, like the couple going home for Christmas and like the family's kind of crazy and like there's like hijinks, you would say, like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it was marketed as a rom-com. The The marketing seemed made it seem like it was lighter than it actually was. It has like the hijinks, but it feels like the stakes for everything is like so much higher. Like, I don't know. I feel like a lot of times rom-coms have things that feel like really low stakes. Whereas this felt like the stakes were pretty high for a lot of like the issues in this movie. So I feel like in that way, it also feels a lot different than like a regular yeah, like a regular rom-com. Yeah, some of those situations felt a little too real for it to be like rom-com-y. Like it wasn't silly. Like I felt genuinely upset at some points. I was really stressed about, you know, certain things that happen in the movie, which are not feelings I expect to feel when watching like a lighthearted rom-com. I would like to discuss the whole movie. So I guess if you haven't seen it and you don't want to be spoiled, then I'm sorry, we're probably going to talk about spoilers. So my bad. Let's continue. <laughs> so like, there's one of the first lines in the film, they're like going and seeing all the lights around these houses doing a walking tour. And the person giving the tour says, yep, so this house has been done for this many years. And it was even... He even used his nephew as Santa until he got done for child endangerment. And I remember watching it the first time. And that was the point at which I went, this isn't one of my regular Christmas rom-coms. I need to kind of shift my expectations for this film because it, it's not going to be the kind of single all the way type of thing. This is like a film film. That being said, I have definitely enjoyed this movie, I think, more for that. Again, as someone who doesn't really do the whole rom-com thing, it felt more of just like a movie and less of like a rom-com kind of in that same way that like Single All The Way was. But let's talk about how it meets the typical like holiday rom-com movie tropes. We kind of already got into that a little bit. Like it's got like the crazy family and stuff like that. But what else... What else is there maybe to this movie? Bringing someone home and pretending to be in a relationship. In this case, it's pretending not to be in a relationship. So they flip that trope. Got the people from the past. So you've got her ex-boyfriend and her ex-girlfriend. Just the intensity of the family. But like in such a wildly different way to single all the way. Yeah, and I think that the pressure comes from the kind of family that they are. So Harper's family is a political family. I think her father was a councilman or something and then was running for higher office. He was trying to get elected as mayor. And it seems like their family is very concerned about appearances and their standing in the community, which is one of the reasons why it was so hard for for Harper to come out because she felt like she had to conform with these expectations and they had to maintain like this facade for the public. Um, and so that added so much more pressure to like general coming out pressure. And it was really straining her relationship with Abby. Yeah, because like Harper had seen what it looks like to kind of almost lose that respect from their dad mm -hmm. because her sister and her husband used to be like high power lawyers or whatever and then when they gave that up 
to have their family that became the only thing that was important about them was the fact that they had the family so even though her sister still has you know the brain for politics and law and whatever that she had their dad doesn't care about that anymore he only cares about kind of photo ops with the children mentioning how great and family orientated you know one of his daughters is and Harper is the career one. She's the smart one. And she has to maintain this appearance of she's the one that the dad brings around to talk to donors and politicians. And so, yeah, like you say, on top of the coming out pressure, there's that if I'm not absolutely perfect, I'm going to lose this relationship with my dad. Yeah, that's why I kind of think is like really different about this one is like that feels like a high stake, right? That feels way more... I don't want to say like important, but it feels like a real like issue <laughs> that mm -hmm. yeah. people have had to deal with. It definitely makes it feel a lot more like intense, I would say, than like a regular rom-com where maybe, you know, the stakes really aren't that serious and they're only serious because the movie has like made them out to be serious instead of like this where people have had to do this before they've had to hide who they are from their family because mm -hmm. of fear that their family wouldn't accept them you know there's a line in the movie that like really got me where harper is trying to explain to abby that they weren't just loved and accepted as children they felt that they had to earn it and to compete for it which made me tear up a little bit like that's an awful way to grow up like I had an awful feeling thinking that like you're constantly under scrutiny and you have to perform for your family to love and accept you I mean Harper's struggle felt really real to me it was like a hard thing to kind of balance because on one hand part of me was really upset and angry about how Harper was treating Abby because there's like a couple times in the movie when from our point of view as the audience it would have been really easy for Harper to just admit that her and Abby were there as a couple and that Abby wasn't just her friend and roommate. I was angry with Harper because she was being cowardly and she was being really mean to Abby just to keep up appearances with her family. But then on the other side, I can see how if you've grown up in that environment where you're competing with your family or with your sisters, really, to try to get love from your parents, that it would be so hard for you to do something and admit to them something that you think is going to make them not love you anymore. It was a lot of like conflicting emotions because I was really upset because she was really terrible to Abby a few times to the point where I was kind of like, Abby, get out of there. Like, what are you, why are you still here? Like, I don't know. I just don't know if I would have been able to like sit around and like put up with everything that Abby put up with. I would have left much earlier in the movie. Yeah. Like at one point, one of Harper's like nieces accidentally well she does it on purpose she like slips a necklace into abby's bag and then abby gets labeled as a shoplifter that right there would have been more than enough for me to like i'd be like hey i'm out <laughs> like i don't yeah. know if i could have put up with that well should we move on to the next category the authenticity and quality of the queer relationships depicted i really liked it in this movie and i want to give like a special shout out to the fact that they have a lesbian and a gay man as best friends, which I feel like that is kind of like an unusual dynamic because I think that either like the straight 
woman who has like a gay best friend or even like a gay man who only has like gay best friends is kind of like much more normal depictions in movies. Yeah. And I thought that they spent a considerable amount of time showing that best friendship and it felt really genuine and you know like they were both fleshed out characters and you could see like the care and affection that they had for each other and I thought it was like a really lovely depiction of queer best friendship. He went and got her and pretended to be her heterosexual ex-boyfriend trying to win her back. Yeah to rescue her from like the crazy family. (laughs) Yeah that's a kind of friends that you know that are going to be around forever the kind that will come and rescue you from an awful situation and slowly get around to telling you that they killed one of the fish that were meant to be looking after he also doesn't hold back when he tells her he he doesn't sugarcoat things for her like he lays out the situation for her like this is what you're facing and this is a choice you have to make and like he doesn't coddle her he helps clarify the choice for her that's the responsibility of a best friend. They don't just tell you what you want to hear, but they tell you what you need to hear. And I thought that was really lovely. But I also liked that, you know, he was very blunt the first time called and then called again being like, okay, maybe I wasn't as supportive as I needed to be. But in that phone call, obviously things have got a lot worse. But even so, he was like, I'm here to be supportive, but I'm not going to like change my entire personality. <laughs> I love his speech at the end where he brings up the fact that like Abby had a really easy time coming out to her parents before they died and he brings up the fact that like that's not everyone's experiences and he says that you know when he came out his dad kicked him out of the house and they hadn't spoken for however many years like over 10 years so and you know I think that speech is just really lovely and that's what I think makes you have a lot of empathy for like Harper's situation you know just because you had a really easy time coming out to your family doesn't mean that's everyone's experience yeah and I I like that he told her that it's okay that Harper's not ready to come out but it's also okay for you to not want to be with that person who's not in the same place as you with regards to you know being out and comfortable with their queer identity like you can love that person but you don't have to live that life. Like you don't have to accept being shoved back into the closet because they're not ready. And how do we feel about Abby and Harper together as a couple? I think it's difficult because like a lot of the film, we see Harper as she is when she's in that high stress situation, because the Harper we see in the opening scene of the film is really carefree and silly and just, loves Abby so much and like so much that she wants to wake up with her on Christmas morning but then the majority of the film we see a Harper who's really tense and who's you know focused on catching up with her old friends and that does include her ex-boyfriend and competing with her sisters and like ditching Abby at these events because she has to go and talk to people for her dad it's kind of hard to root for them even though, you know, we obviously want to and they do end up together and I think it's great that they end up together. But the Harper that you see through the majority of the film isn't someone that you would want Abby to end up with. But I do think that they're cute at the beginning and they're cute at the end together. Yes, definitely. Yeah. 
I guess you just kind of have to infer what their relationship is like outside of that family dynamic. It would be nice if we got to see more of that. I mean, Abby was getting ready to propose to Harper. So you've got to assume that things are going well. All right. Side characters, their importance and how they contribute to the story. I really like the side characters in this movie so much more than I like the characters in Single All the Way. I felt the side characters in this movie felt like real people. Even Jane, like the youngest sister, who in another movie might have been treated as like a joke character because, you know, she's silly and they make fun of her and she's the butt of a lot of jokes. But then she has like an actual personality and motivations and she's actually one of my favorite characters i was really rooting for her in this movie and i was happy that they treated that character with like love and care and that she also got a happy ending of sorts in this movie i do love that like throughout the whole movie she keeps talking to people about her little like sci-fi novel that she's working on and then yeah at the very end it like flashes forward to next year's christmas and she's like finished her book and it's published. And I just think it's really cute because, yeah, it's like, you're right. It could have very easily been like a joke, but she isn't really in like her, her issues are kind of like dealt with like seriously. And also like, I like that they also like at one point Harper like, smashes a Christmas painting that she did, which was devastating to me. I was like so upset when she did that. Me too. I think that was the most upset I was the entire film, but it was just that moment of, she's worked so hard. And they do treat that with respect too, like, Jane is upset about it, and Harper apologizes, and they all talk about how beautiful the painting was, and I kind of like, because it could have just been, like, brushed off, you know, as, like, a funny, oh, she smashed someone over the head with this painting. That could have been just, like, a silly moment in, like, another movie, but I like that it was, no, that was, like, too far. (laughs) Yeah, it was meaningful. And I think, like, Jane is the only person, well, aside from Best Friend, who's played by Eugene Levy, Jane is the only person in this movie who is consistently being their authentic self and that's kind of why she's shunned or you know made fun of because she is unapologetically herself and people think that she's weird because this is a family that's obsessed with appearances and prestige and Jane is just her delightful creative weird self and that gets recognition at the end of the movie like they appreciate that that's who she is and she has like this you know she's vindicated like she leans into the person she truly is and she becomes successful because she becomes a published author at the end of the movie everybody gets to be to live their best life and but jane has been that person all along from the beginning and she likes herself when they're all yelling at each other she makes a whole thing of saying i know that you don't but i like myself and yeah and in that room the others don't yeah they don't like themselves and so important i love jane so much and yeah if this was yeah average holiday rom-com she would have just been a joke character and it wouldn't have been taken seriously and you wouldn't have got the apologies Mm -hmm. i just love it so much and it is a beautiful painting (laughs) it was and i would read her book I love as well that right at the start, it's mentioned that the best friend is a book editor and you kind of forget about that until the epilogue bit. And then it's like, oh yeah, that's a great little connection. Yeah. And I love that every time that Jane tries to talk about her book, people are like, "Mm, I have no idea what you're talking about. This is weird. But then there's that scene at the end where she's talking to Eugene Levy about her book and he totally gets it. 
Yes, I love that moment so much. I was just about to bring that up because that was so heartwarming and I was like so emotional about it. I was like, oh my God, I didn't know that I like needed to see her like connecting with someone about that until it happened. And I was like, oh my God, I'm going to cry. Yeah, I love that. John, Eugene Levy's character, and, and Jane are my favorite characters in this movie. I was going to say, we stand where John and Jane stands in this podcast. So I've just from it, uh, Dan Levy. Oh, sorry, it's Dan Levy. <laughs> Eugene is his dad. I'm sorry, Dan Levy. <laughs> if you're hearing this, please listen to all the positive things we've said. We love you. You're fantastic. You made this movie for me. There's actually two big Canadian actors in this movie um, because he's Canadian and so is Mackenzie Davis. Ooh. So we're all up in this movie. <laughs> Let's talk about the other side characters. Uh, how do we feel about Aubrey Plaza? I love that character. I think she brought so much depth to the whole film. Like it's just another side of the story and it, and extremely attractive. Yes. I was going to say, I mean, besides the fact that she's really hot, I mean, I did enjoy her character, but I was also like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> enjoyed her character, was distracted at points. Yes. Mm -hmm by how hot she is. Aubrey Plaza plays Riley, who is Harper's ex-girlfriend. So they, they were together in high school and they broke up because Harper wasn't ready to come out. And she actually outs Riley to protect herself, um, which is a terrible thing to do. But it seems like Riley's character doesn't really hold a grudge or she's, she's over it. Like she's moved on and they are cordial in the movie when Harper comes back home. Um, and then there's moments in the movie where Abby spends time with Riley talking about trying to understand Harper because they have this, you know, shared experience of being shoved in the closet because Harper's not ready to come out. And I thought her interactions with Abby were really fun and well done. And I was wondering if like, oh, is there going to be some kind of you know, love triangle, is there going to be a spark here between Abby and Riley? Um, because they seem to get along really well in this movie. And I thought their interactions were really fun to watch. Yeah, I kind of wasn't against them possibly being like together because I thought that they also had really good chemistry. And like, I don't know, I was like kind of enjoying that. I mean, even just them like being friends was like really nice because I know that Abby has john but john isn't really there you know and he doesn't really see like what's happening whereas like, riley is there as like a character who's kind of been through this already with harper and it was just really nice for abby to have someone kind of like in her corner and like understanding like what was going on and what it was like to exist in that world which again it's similarly to um single all the way is like a very small knows each other kind of thing yeah having someone who who knows what it's like to live there and knows what it feels like to be in a similar situation i think was really nice she also understands like what it's like to be judged in that community because I think there was a there was a line earlier in the movie where uh, Riley comes up and the mom and the dad are talking about Riley. Oh, like she's a successful doctor. So like, you know, this family cares very much about prestige. And so they were like, oh, you know, like she's really successful. That's great. It's it's unfortunate about her lifestyle choice. So they weren't really openly homophobic. But, you know, that line suggests that they are not that open minded and Harper knows that that's how her family feels about Riley. And so that, you know, she's been carrying that this whole time. 
which is why she's so hesitant to to come out. It's like, it's not even enough that like you're the successful person, but that's something that's going to, to taint you. That's going to bring you down and overshadow your accomplishments. So did we enjoy the movie and would we watch it if it was straight? I enjoyed the movie. I'm not sure how this would play out if they were straight since the central conflict is about coming out. But I thought that it was a a well done movie. I like side characters and their little story arcs. And so, you know, I'm not sure how they would reimagine this as a straight uh, romance movie, but like I'd be interested to see it. I thought it was quite well done. Yeah, I liked it a lot too. I think I I agree, Serena, that like, I don't know how this would work as a straight movie. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think again, it would probably come down to them like manufacturing some kind of drama that would be the reason why they couldn't admit they were dating each other. (laughs) And which maybe would make it feel a little like cheaper. But I think that I would probably rewatch this one, possibly even by myself. So that says a lot, I think. I know. I know. So yeah, I really enjoyed this one. It was also one that I, when it came out, I remember when it was released in 2020 and I had wanted to watch it. I had just never got around to it. So yeah, it was really good. And it was a lot different than I was expecting it to be. And I think there was a lot of people who didn't like Happiest Season when it came out and a lot of people who didn't like Single All The Way. But I think some people didn't like it because they didn't like it. That's fair enough. The people who were complaining about Happier Season not being, you know, just a lighthearted, fun holiday rom-com because they were going into it expecting it to be like single all the way. And then people who found single all the way just completely bland and sexless in a way that they didn't enjoy were expecting it to be kind of happier season and it's kind of like you need to just understand which kind of film you're watching to be able to enjoy it if you're watching it expecting it to be something else yeah you're just you're not even gonna open yourself up to the possibility of enjoying it yeah but I think for people who were expecting a different movie when they watched happier season I think that was me and like I was pleasantly surprised that it was not the movie that I expected because I actually enjoyed it. I think it was like the marketing seemed like it was like, oh, you know, like this funny, lighthearted holiday rom-com. I thought that's what they were communicating with the initial previews of this movie. So when I watched it, I was like, oh, that was unexpected and in a good way. I feel like I remember when it came out, a lot of people saying that it was like unexpectedly emotional. Like I think they were going into it, expecting it to be like a very traditional holiday rom-com that was very like lighthearted and that it was a little more like emotional and like heart-wrenching and that you shouldn't go into it expecting it to be like very lighthearted because I I seem to remember a lot of people being like oh I didn't know I was gonna start crying when I watched this movie. I was unexpectedly emotional all the way into the credits so like during the credits there's like a series of Instagram posts from the mom so like it's established that she's documenting and doing the social media for the family and there was a a shot there of you know them celebrating the holidays together and Abby and Harper's engagement and there was a family photo of their first pride parade together as a family and that got me in the feels like I unexpectedly teared up at that moment and it was like the movie's ending I wasn't expecting like to be hit that hard (laughs) yeah that was really sweet I really liked that inclusion and I kind of liked that 
on that note of like the parents about how they kind of like owned up to how they behaved throughout the years and how it contributed like the mom saying to the dad you know we've been making our kids feel like this like why have we been doing this that kind of thing and I mean obviously it doesn't erase the trauma but I mean at least they kind of owned up to it and can probably start working towards fixing those problems I definitely feel like the speech that the dad gave was a speech that one of the writers wanted to hear from their parents. Yeah, well, I think it's worth mentioning that the director, Clea Duvall, who is also an actor, mentioned that this is like sort of semi-autobiographical and is sort of like about experience she's had with her family and so i'm wondering if it wasn't a little bit of wish fulfillment maybe yeah because she is a lesbian about maybe like the conversation she wanted to have with her family that's so relatable because i've definitely written fic in which a bisexual character comes out to their parent and the speech that the parent gives is what i would like to hear from my parents if i were ever to have that conversation with them so yeah i think it's like a common way of like processing your feelings the third movie that we watched was Marry and gay which is also called christmas with love which is very confusing but it seems Marry and gay is the title that seems to be used more commonly this movie came out in 2022 and it tells the story of becca and sam who are two childhood friends high school sweethearts who are separated when becca pursues a career in theater in new york and they are reunited over the holiday season their moms conspire to get them back together there is a christmas pageant that they are both involved in and the entire town is kind of in on trying to get these two back together shall we get into how well this movie meets the holiday rom-com movie tropes so well (laughs) you've got going back home for christmas you've got thinking about leaving your career behind you've got dead parent you've got oh yeah you have dead parent yeah (laughs) can't have a christmas film without dead parent and you know the dead dad loved pizza you know (laughs) (laughs) there was snow there was a christmas pageant there was well, I don't, I don't think it's a, quite a holiday trope to have a talent show in a bar, but, you know, it had that too. It was wonderful. Hit all of the ticks. It really did. It's so funny. When that line happened where, like, the mom was like, oh, your dad loved pizza too, as if that's not, like, the most common favorite food of everybody on this planet. Made me laugh so hard. I was like, wow, yeah, you're so much like your dad. You both love pizza. Like, what a weird... You blink sometimes. It's just like your dad. He used to blink. He blinked all the time. Do we remember where this movie is set? It's in a small town somewhere a few hours from New York. Oh, it's in Tennessee. I don't know why I remember that. I feel like at one point they were talking about that. Because at one point, Becca's manager from New York crashes into town. Like like a panto villain. Yeah, like they're having like a family get together for Christmas. That is thing that they do every year. And her manager just from New York just shows up to her Christmas party with her family. It's so bizarre. And I'm pretty sure around that point, they mentioned Becca's like, oh, you just happen to be in the neighborhood in Tennessee. 
But yeah, that was like a really bizarre. There was a lot of like weird things about this movie that I didn't love. But I will say like I felt a little caught up in the gay romance of it all. More so I would say than the other movies we watched where I was like felt like I wasn't super rooting for like any of the other couples. But I was like really caught up in it this time. And I felt for a minute I understood the magic of Christmas (laughs) (laughs) rom-com. I feel like, and this is going to sound maybe a bit weird, but it feels like it was shot smaller. You were like closer to them. Like it wasn't a big Hollywood film. And like even Single All The Way was kind of like Netflix's big gay one. Whereas this was, we're doing a Christmas rom-com and it's very queer, but in a way that you can connect to a lot more. Like smaller and more intimate and somehow that fosters more connection between you and the characters. What's going on on screen? We had the classic Christmas rom-coms have to be really chased. You can hint at the fact that they're going to have a little bit of a spicy scene off camera, but we're going to immediately cut. So you don't see Sam, was it Sam and, oh, I can't remember her. And Becca. Becca. Yeah. Also about this one, it's funny because during Single All The Way, I complained, not complained, but we talked about how I felt like it was sort of unrealistic that there would be no other gay people at all in this like small town. This movie felt like the complete opposite where everyone on screen was either LGBTQ or was one of their parents. I don't know. It just seemed like everyone on screen was like very gay or like queer coded at the very least. So yeah, it it felt like really different in that way. Mm -hmm. And I think what was also different um, from the two other movies that we watched was that here the queer identities are a non-issue. Like it's not really central to the story. It's like we just are supposed to accept that these two people are queer and their families completely accept them and there's no drama around coming out or anything like that. It's so treated as matter of fact, which is refreshing. You know, it's just queer people existing and they are accepted by their families and their communities and it's not a big deal. Yeah, like basically the entire time that we were waiting to find out why they broke up after high school a little part of me was just waiting for the other shoe to drop like oh is it gonna be because sam came out and becca didn't want to date someone non-binary is it gonna be that and then it wasn't it was a completely different thing and i was pleasantly surprised yeah it's funny i think that single all the way i mean that was similar in that there was no aspect of homophobia at all like everyone was totally cool with both him and his friend being gay but I would say that was like a still part of the story the fact that he was gay and they're like oh there's no gay people in this small town like blah 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 and then there was a bit of homophobia in um, Happiest Season but in this one was like it wasn't even ever really brought up at all the two main characters being in a queer relationship or Sam being non-binary like none of those were even mentioned (laughs) which it seems like it seems so weird because yeah you're always kind of used to that either being a problem or that at least being like a plot point and it just wasn't it had nothing to do with the story and like I said everyone on screen seemed kind of gay anyways so it wasn't like where is this small town that is just so progressive and accepting of their gay community. So if we're going to talk about, I mean, we kind of already started the authenticity and quality of queer relationships. I would say this was good, I think. I have no complaints about anything, really. Yeah, it's it's so refreshing to have a lead character who's non-binary, like 
How often do you see that? Almost never. <laughs> I mean, I can't name any other movie that has a main character who's non-binary. No, it tends to be kind of podcast audio drama kind of territory if you're wanting non-binary. <laughs> Should we talk about the side characters? Yeah, let's talk about the moms. They had a, a lot of side characters. The meddling moms, it's so funny because this is the second movie that we watched that had like the meddling mom trope or meddling family trope. And what was so funny about this one was how bad they were at meddling. I'm not sure a single one of their plans worked. Yeah, like one of their plans involved them dressing in all black in broad daylight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. sneak up on the couple that were putting up christmas lights yeah. like okay why are you dressed for a bank robbery <laughs> i know it was so funny when we were watching mayo was like i was about to make a joke about them wearing all black in the middle of the day and then they actually did it so much more likable than the meddling family in single all the way i must mm. say and i think as well the fact that they you know that they're friends because their families have been friends since they were little, but like they were obviously friends. It wasn't like just a throwaway line, like the way they interacted with each other. They were just clearly friends. And it's like, you're a lot more fleshed out as a character than uh, the ones in Single All the Way. Other than the parents, there were like quite a few side characters. There was like Becca's brother. Becca's brother. There's the person who worked at the bar with Sam. There was... That woman who was like the juggler, who was like, who was at the talent show. I don't even know. I, I don't even remember her name or like anything. She was just there to be kind of like comic relief, but like. Was she juggling mousetraps? Yeah, she had she had a broken wrist or hand or something and was juggling mouse traps. What a weird Um and then there was that guy who read poetry at the talent show and then was recruited by the moms during their daytime heist. The local twink. <laughs> the local poetry who was also twink. wearing black during the yeah. bank robbery. Yeah. I love the way he was like, So you're scheming and you're doing all of this. And they were like, Yeah, and he's like, I'm so in. This is everything yeah. I wanted. Yeah, I don't know. I really like all of the side characters were kind of silly, but I actually kind of enjoyed them. I didn't find any of them uh, annoying like I did in some of the other movies. Well, some of the other movies, mostly single all the way. I mo I like the characters in Happiest Season, so. Yeah. Did we enjoy the movie? Yes. Yeah. Yes, surprisingly. I was going to say, yeah, it is kind of surprising because I don't know. Like, I, I think it was, you kind of maybe touched on this a little bit, Mayo. It was definitely, I would say, like, the lowest budget movie that we watched. It felt more like the kind of really cheesy rom-com that I usually would, like, avoid watching. It charmed me. Yeah. Even though I will say, I feel like this one had a little bit of, like, a weak ending. It was really sudden. They had their issues and none of them really seem to be resolved. Although this feels like a very like rom-com thing where it's like none of their issues are really resolved. One of the characters just made a big gesture and all of a sudden everything was okay. And I'm like, okay, but all of your guys' issues that you had before this are still issues. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we should say that the reason why Sam does 
doesn't want to get back together with Becca is because Sam thinks that Becca has a bright future as a Broadway star and they're just like the small town bartender and they don't think that they fit into this future that they see for Becca in New York. And so none of that is actually resolved. What does their life look like moving forward? Also, very important to note that the first Broadway musical that Becca was in was called Musical. Musical. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They really lean into like, oh, Becca's a Broadway star because there is a a musical number where she's walking down like the main street of the town and and singing. Oh my gosh, I almost forgot about that. It was very crazy, but also she sang it pretty well. But yeah, the movie does open with her like being on Broadway. In a Friends musical. Yes, in a Friends musical. Which is weird because I see that it's sort of Friends themed, but the implication seems to be that all of the characters in the musical work in like an office together, but the characters in Friends don't work in an office together. So I'm really confused about that because like it had like the central perk as like the backdrop of that musical. I was like, yeah, the characters and friends don't work in an office together and they were talking as, as if they were like co-workers. I don't know. It was really strange. I'll be honest. It did take me a while to clock that it was meant to be a friends musical because I saw the yeah. central perk and I was like, oh, was it even central perk? I think it was like something a letter off that even because. Yeah, it was something lay on word. But it took a few mentions of her playing Monica before I actually clocked that it was was meant to be friends pretty silly like i thought that the way that they introduced becca's agent was so over the top there's this ominous villain music every time she's on screen it's just like so ridiculous also would we watch it if it was straight absolutely not definitely not well mayo yeah, right. yeah i would i would but you know I've got no taste. It's cool. <laughs> I mean, I genuinely thought that the leads were charming and that they had like cute chemistry together. And I feel like they captured really the um, gay pining. There's a lot of these shots where they're kind of just looking at each other with this longing. And I feel like we didn't really get that from, oh, well, maybe we did in um, Happiest Season, not so much single all the way. I felt it more like it resonated with me more for some reason. I think it definitely resonated more, but it's also the one out of the three of them that could be be the most easily transplanted into being a straight one because the other two you could change like the bar from being a mostly queer bar to being a straight normal whatever you call it bar why am i struggling to describe a regular bar (laughs) so you could change that and like it wouldn't have the pizzazz that it has and it wouldn't be as impactful but you could make it into a straight film whereas single all the way and happiest season you know, the couples being queer is kind of central to yeah. the story in a way that this movie isn't. Which is kind of one of the things I like about it being a queer movie. Also, I was going to say, I do feel like it's interesting that they chose the non-binary character to mm-hmm. be the one who stays in their hometown. Mm. Because it seems to me like they would want the non-binary to be the one who like left their hometown to, you know, find somewhere better. But like the hometown is so queer that it literally doesn't matter. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. I thought that was kind of interesting because it feels to me it would maybe be more true to life if the person who was non-binary was the one who wanted to get out of the small town where people are like close-minded or whatever. Maybe that's like a bit of a stereotype or a trope, but... That's just how I would feel about it, you know, if you want to mm-hmm. go where, and I mean, and it's true to life. I mean, in general, LGBTQ people 
tend to congregate in larger cities where there's more chance of finding community. But maybe if, if I lived in the magical queer town that they do, maybe <laughs> I wouldn't want to leave either. Yeah, I mean, it was an interesting choice to portray the town in that way, like the super queer, supportive, wholesome community. Like even the pastor is on board. When Becca and Sam were kissing in front of the pastor, I was like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, I totally forgot about that. They show up to the pastor's house and they're like kissing on <laughs> his front lawn. And I was like, in front of the pastor? <laughs> the pastor and... All right, thank you for joining us for our Christmas holiday rom-com spectacular. And thank you to Mayo for joining us for that episode. I am really glad that we had them on because I think that they were a good like reference for all things <laughs> rom-com especially holiday rom-com because <laughs> neither of us knows anything on our about- own <laughs> yeah exactly we needed a rom-com Sherpa exactly yeah we needed a, a guide to help us enter the rom-com realm I have to say that I think that Mayo was successful because towards the end I kind of got it you know like I I, I sort of understand the appeal of this genre it's not my favorite but i understand why it's enjoyable now i kind of felt the same and i understand the idea of wanting to watch something to just turn your brain off because i feel like i do the same thing i choose to do that by watching the same movie that or like tv show that i've seen over and over again because to me that feels like shutting my brain off but Mm -hmm. i mean we all have ways that we like to do that and you know what Watching holiday rom-coms isn't a bad way to turn off your brain. Yeah, and soak up the holiday vibes. Shall we talk about what we are kind of hyperfixating on right now? Okay, so this isn't specifically queer media, but I would say that it has a lot of um, queer themes. So I've been uh, re-watching the series Jane the Virgin, which aired from 2014 to 2019. It has five seasons. Watching it again it stood out to me that, wow, there are a lot of queer characters on this show and like queer storylines and they are treated very well with a lot of nuance and care and a lot of joy. And I was really delighted to rediscover that and I really enjoyed um, watching it the second time around. I have been watching Fellow Travelers, which if anyone is keeping up with, you know, queer TV shows that are coming out, it is an eight-part series. I don't remember what station it's premiering on. My bad. But it's called Fellow Travelers. And like I said, it's an eight-part series that follows a, a couple of couples throughout the 50s and through like McCarthyism into the next couple decades. And through, you know, everything that happened in the U.S. in queer history in that time. So it touches on um, the assassination of Harvey Milk, and it touches on the AIDS crisis. And it is beautiful and heart-wrenching and sad. And yeah, it's really, really emotional. They cast out gay and queer actors for all of the gay and queer roles in the show which is really incredible yeah just like a really amazing show that i think is really important 
for anyone who cares a lot about queer history, especially in the US, which is its main focus. I need to catch up. Yeah, it sounds really good. I haven't been able to start it, but I'm really looking forward to it. We just want to say it's coming towards the end of 2023. So I hope everyone has had a good year. And I hope that you're excited for 2024. I'm very excited. I'm excited for what we are going to do with this podcast in 2024. We have a lot of really good episode ideas that I'm excited about. Mm -hmm. And lots of exciting queer media to consume in the coming year. Yeah, so excited. I'm already excited. We would like to acknowledge our friend Pax, who did an amazing job of creating intro music for us and all the other music you hear in the podcast. You can find them on Instagram at Fens Edge. And the art for our website was done by Draw Right Play, who's on Instagram and Threads. You can view their art on our website, bisexualbreakdown.com, where you can find links to all the platforms where you can listen to this podcast and all our social media. So we're on on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, YouTube, and other platforms. You can follow us on Tumblr, Instagram, TikTok. You can send us a coffee or email us. And all that information is on bisexualbreakdown.com. You are welcome to leave us a comment if you have anything to say about any of our episodes. Like I said, you can email us or you can just leave a comment on our YouTube or on any of our social media channels. That's everything. Thanks for listening. Until next time. Bye. Bye. We are both bisexual. That's so true.